right. Good morning, Cornerstone. <laughs> um, my name is Janet. Um, I'm one of the ministry interns here at Cornerstone. Um, and it's my privilege to preach God's word um, for everyone this morning. Um, oh, sorry. Okay. Um, yeah, so this morning, as I was on my way um, to church, um, I realized. Like I was just, I was just driving. I was just praying and preparing for the message, going over it in my in my head and um, things like that. And I, I had this moment where I was like, "I'm wearing a dress today," which means there's nowhere for me to clip the mic pack. <laughs> so it's like, what am I gonna do? Okay, well we'll figure it out. And I got here, and Pastor Hojin um, helped me out, and he clipped it to the back of my collar. Like behind, behind my head. Um, it's like a little uncomfortable, but so if you see me just like fidgeting or pulling at my dress, like that's gonna be why. Um, um, yeah, so um, before we get into the message for this morning, um, would you all just bow with me one more time um, and pray for this time? Father God, we. We come before you this morning um, with all of our, our mess, our brokenness, our joys, our pains. God, knowing that you, that you see us and that God, that regardless of where we're at, God, that you will meet us exactly where we are. God, that you will speak to each one of us the words, the message, the truths, Lord God, that need to be spoken over our lives. And so we humbly ask, God, that you would come, that Holy Spirit, you would come and that you would work in our hearts, prepare our hearts to receive your words, which are life. And so we dedicate this time to you. May we be wholly devoted to you and your word, Lord God, in this time. And in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so for those of you who were not here last week, um, and maybe those of you who have already forgotten, no judgment, it's only been one week, guys. Um, we started uh, our series through the book of Romans. And... Um, Last week, uh, Pastor Danny had briefly touched upon this, but a big part of why we are kind of going through this book and why it starts where it does is that we need to remember, we need to know what we're being saved from in order to fully enjoy and fully know um, what we are being saved to. And... A couple weeks ago, uh, I was in class, and because I am, uh, so I'm at, I'm at the seminary up in the North Shore, and I am studying for two degrees. I'm getting a Master of Divinity and a Master of Arts in Counseling. And so that puts me kind of in a, a wonderful little niche at my school um, where everyone calls me crazy. Because <laughs> um, it's a four and a half year long program. It's very rigorous. I've never taken less than five classes a semester. Um, in order to kind of get to 
place where I can say I'm almost done. I have one more year left. Woo. Um, and so somebody had at my school, um, she was interested in, um, she wasn't, I think she was a counseling student who was adding the Master of Divinity. And so she got connected to me and she found out who I was and she messaged me on Facebook and she asked if we could meet. So I met with her and I was just talking to her about uh, the program, I was answering her questions, um, letting her know what my experience was. And uh, at one point during the conversation, she said to me, she was like, oh, she was like, well, she's like, it sounds like you really know like, what you wanna do, where you're going. It sounds like you really, you really know. And then she proceeded to say that, oh, like she wasn't the kind of person who could kind of like set her mind on a goal and just and go for it. She was like, I just kind of have to figure things out as I go. And I thought that was kind of funny because, and it just took me back and I was like, oh, um, that's exactly where I started too. And something that Pastor Bill loves to bring up when I meet with him is how between my first meeting with him and my second meeting with him, how drastically I had changed. And when I first met Pastor Bill, it was like, I think it was my first, very first semester, fall semester in seminary. And I had no idea what I was doing. I had no idea where I was going. Um, yeah, I was just kind of, I was like, I think this is what I'm supposed to be doing, so I'm here. Um, and by the, by the spring semester, for some, somehow God had shaped my life and shaped my journey so that I was, I just, I just felt so much more secure in what I was doing. And as I was sharing with this girl about my, my journey, I realized, wow, like God has brought me so far. And it was this realization, it wasn't like I wasn't enjoying my present without, without that realization, but it just gave me a fuller grasp of how, like how much joy there I was experiencing in my current phase of, I guess, seminary or of life. And so much in the same way as Christians, we often forget our story of how we got from before Christ to after Christ. And sometimes that prevents us from enjoying and fully knowing yeah, fully knowing the joy of Christ in our lives presently. Which is why we need to start with, with sin. The story of how sin affects all of us. So our scripture for today comes from Romans 3, verses 9 to 21. If you have your Bibles, you can pull them out. If not, you can just read along with me. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. 
and their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. This is the word of God. So here we have, I don't know if you remember from last week, but Pastor Danny um, opened us up with just the effects that sin had on our hearts, right? And he said that um, we saw, or we saw in the scripture that it was, it resulted in a darkened heart. Darkened heart, darkened mind, darkened behavior. And here, Paul is just kind of concluding that argument, and he says, essentially, we are all sinners. Paul writes, for we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. And then he proceeds to flesh out this charge, right, he's calling it a charge, with six different Old Testament passages. Five are from Psalms, one is from Isaiah. He says, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God, no one does good, no one fears God. And by concluding this argument in this way, he's saying no one is exempt from this charge. He's saying no one has right standing before God. No one understands who God is. No one wants relationship with God. No one lives by God's moral standards. No one loves God and lives by his word. No one understands that he is God. And in verses 13, 13 through 17, we see him highlight the throat, tongue, lips, mouth, feet, and ultimately our minds as having been corrupt, having become corrupt, right? And saying from our speech to our actions to our thoughts, nothing is good. And this is the assumption that Paul is starting off with in this section. Because you see, Paul isn't saying, okay, so all are under sin, don't you agree? Let me convince you that this is true. No, this isn't what Paul is doing at all. He's, this is an indictment. This is a charge that is brought against all of humanity. He's saying this is what God says what he has revealed in his holy scripture to be true about all mankind. He's saying that apart from God, humanity, that means you and me, we are enslaved by sin. And when left to our own devices, we cannot and we will not choose God.
Now, I know that this is exactly the news that you were all hoping for this morning. Um, and I want us to kind of pause and kind of take, kind of just take this in, soak this in. Because what Paul is saying, right, what the implication of this charge against all of humanity is, is that we are all more than deserving of God's wrath. More than deserving of God's judgment. More than deserving of eternal separation from the Father. And what he is also saying, by encompassing all, Jews and Greeks, moral, immoral, religious, not so religious, is that no one can claim he or she is better than anyone else. In this charge, there is nobody who can stand and say, well, I don't fit this category. And all we have to do to uh, kind of just, just think about this and see if whether this is true or not is just to look at your own life. To see in our own walks with the Lord, have we sinned or have we not? So this is where Paul starts. We are all sinners. Now I also hope that it's safe to assume that everyone here is here because you want something different from this indictment. You want to know God. You want to learn how to live for God. You're searching for God. You don't want this charge to be the final word against you. So what do we do? How can we pull ourselves out from under this judgment? And here Paul stops us again, and he says, no, no, no. We cannot save ourselves. In verse 19, he writes, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. No one is capable of doing anything to make themselves right with God. He brings up the law here because there were people who believed that obedience to the law, to God's law, would help them gain acceptance or right standing with God. Paul gives a resounding no to this type of thinking. And I think often we, we feel this way as well. We feel like, oh, if only I just... Every day I could just spend five minutes with God. Five minutes with God and that'll, like, I'll just be right with God. I'll be a little closer. I'll be a little bit closer to God if I do that. We also see it when we think, oh, there's no way I could live up to that standard. So 
Like, I'm just, I just can't even, I can't try. I won't ever be good in God's eyes. Both ends are seeing this doing of the, doing of the law, these works, as the thing that will bring them to God, that will bring them to right standing with God. Now, we also see this when we have failed. We've been going and going and living our life and, oh yeah, like we know that Jesus is our Lord and we fail. We've been trying not to sin in XYZ areas, but there we did it again. Or when just in general, you just feel like you've failed and you can't stand before God. And so people will run away. We run away. And in all of these scenarios, it is our performance before God that drives our understanding of who God is and who we are in relationship to God. And Paul is saying that there is no way, there is just no way that the law, that doing the works of the law, that being or achieving any kind of success in God's eyes will gain you acceptance, will gain you a right standing with him. He says there is only one way to fulfill the law, and that is fully and perfectly. Works of the law cannot save you because no one is able to perfectly fulfill that law. Instead, Paul says that the law stops every mouth and holds the whole world accountable to God. This is legal language that depicts a defendant who has been silenced because he or she is not able to defend themselves against the charges brought against them. The law brings all of humanity to a place where they are standing before God accountable to him for willful and inexcusable violations of his will. Trying to fulfill the law, he says in verse 20, only ends up revealing our sinfulness. And I came across this quote from C.S. Lewis, and it didn't quite fit on the PowerPoint, so I, I didn't include it, but I'll read it to you guys now. Now, we cannot discover our failure to keep God's law except by trying our very hardest and then failing. Unless we really try whatever we say, there will always be at the back of our minds the idea that if we try harder next time, we shall succeed in being completely good. Thus, in one sense, the road back to God is a road of moral effort, of trying harder and harder. But in another sense, it is not trying that is ever going to bring us home. And all this trying leads up to the vital moment at which you turn to God and say, you must do this. I can't. Because we cannot save ourselves. As much as we would love to be the ones that can pull, pull ourselves up by the bootstraps. 
as, as much as we would love to be the ones who can take a little bit of credit for our salvation, for being good, we simply cannot. And as C.S. Lewis says in that last part of that quote that I read, inevitably, we must turn to God. Because only God can save us. In verse 21, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. And this verse marks the, the second part. It's, another, it's the heading of another section that talks about how we are, we are justified, we are made right with God through Christ and Christ alone. The righteousness of God has been manifested in the person of Jesus Christ. The law and the prophets all prophesied about the one who would come to save. Only Christ was able to fulfill the law completely and perfectly to the degree that is required of our God. It is a way that we never could. And we know that as Christians, as believers in this room, that we live by faith. In Habakkuk 2.4, it reads, but the righteous shall live by faith. In Galatians 2.16, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. There is only Jesus. God is saying that this is not some like, like potluck dinner where he brings something, you bring something, and the party starts, right? This is, God says, I, I bring you, I give you my son, Jesus Christ, and only Christ, only Christ can save you. Only your faith in Jesus Christ can save you and allow you to be in right relationship with me. And so as we look back on our sin, and we look back on our story of where we started, That makes Christ all the more beautiful and glorious. Because in order for all of us to, to sit in these seats, to stand and worship, sing the songs, the lyrics that are on the PowerPoint, in order for us to be able to do any of that, we need Jesus. There is only Jesus. There is nothing that we can do but need Jesus. All we need is to have nothing. And so here's where I think we can kind of take something away from this passage this morning. It is this. I... I'm a sinner. 
I cannot save myself. God, only you can save me. God, I am a sinner. No matter how hard I try, I cannot save myself. God, only you can save me. It is to know this truth and to understand it so deeply within ourselves that this is all we can say. God, only you can save me. To close for this morning, I wanted to share another story. Um, so a couple weeks ago, I uh, applied to be a member of Cornerstone. <laughs> I'm sorry, don't look at me. Um, <laughs> I've been here for, for two years. I'm a lay leader for college ministry. <laughs> I'm very sorry. I should have done this a long time ago. It's always on the, in the back of my mind. I just never got around to doing it. And finally, Pastor Danny sent me this video of my name on the list of people who need to become members. And uh, so I, I was in class, and I filled up the form in class. Um, and he told me, good job. <laughs> so um, I was filling out my membership application, and one of the questions on there is about um, like a really brief, short testimony, just how you came to faith. And of course, I couldn't write the whole, the whole shebang, but um, I just wrote that I had been a Christian all my life, and my story is one of coming to faith like gradually. And as I was thinking about this sermon, and I was thinking about how we're talking about our stories and how uh, we need to remember where we've come, where we've come from, how God has brought us out of slavery to sin. And so I, I remembered um, after sending that in and kind of just thinking about it, um, I wrote that I came to faith around the age of like 13 or 14, something like that. Um, I got confirmed at 15, um, went through confirmation class, I've been to church all my life, praise team, student leader, blah, blah, blah. And, um, and I still remember very distinctly the day that I realized that I was a sinner. I remember it very, very clearly. And something I love about this part of the way God wrote my story is that it's very, um, it's very regular. So what happened was, I was, I think probably, like, I think I was in sixth grade or something. I was like 11, let's say, 11 or 12. And something that, um, so I used, to, I used to also play piano. And so I was practicing piano late at night, as I did. It was like 10, 10 p.m., 10.30, something like that. It was late. It's just what I always did, um, especially if my mom yelled at me that day. <laughs> I was practicing my piano at night. Um, I was just playing. I wasn't thinking about anything. There wasn't anything about the sermon or, or a small group or anything that was in my head. I was just practicing. I was like, God, help me learn these notes. <laughs> and I, um, I, just, I, I, I was taking a break. I was just sitting at my piano. And this thought came into my head. And I know for sure, I'm so sure that this was God speaking to me, that it was something that the Holy Spirit was revealing to me. 
And I just sat there and I, I thought, I, I am a sinner. I don't deserve this grace that I've been heard preached to me since I was a kid. I don't deserve what Christ has done for me. And I just sat there with this thought. And I was just so, I was so overwhelmed by it. And I think even thinking about it now, it's pretty overwhelming. But I, I went upstairs to my, my sister was doing something else. I went to my sister. I just cried. I just, I sat there. I laid on her lap and I just cried. And fun fact, my sister doesn't remember this moment at all. <laughs> um, but I do. And, and it wasn't like I needed to like, like, oh, like I cheated on my test and I'm such a sinner. Or it wasn't anything like that. It was just my heart just knew that this is who I really was. Apart from Christ, this is who I was. And that there was, now fast forward to today, just thinking, I have no part in the saving work of Christ in my life. I play no part. There's nothing that I, that I add or nothing that I can take away from what Christ has done for me. I can read my Bible every single day for like three hours every day. And still, it does not add a single thing to my salvation. And I hope that all of us in this room can recognize that as well. We have only Jesus. When you and I stand in the courtroom of heaven, when we stand before the judge, the God Almighty, and this list of charges in Romans 3 is brought against you. It's brought against us. We will be silent. And all we'll be able to say is Jesus saved me. Jesus, I have no one but you. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for Jesus, for your son who has so lavishly poured out his life on our behalf. 
that we may not be condemned to eternity away apart from you, but instead we are saved to an eternity of life with you. God, we know that messages like these, passages like these in scripture can often be difficult to to stomach, be difficult to fully accept at times. But God, we also thank you for passages like these that remind us of how desperately we need you. That can remind us at any point in our walk with you that we have no one but you. That God, that Jesus is our only hope And God, I pray, I pray that this truth would lead us to a place where we are more in love with you, that we experience more joy with you than we have before. God, I pray that you would continue to speak this word, speak this truth into our hearts, into our lives for this coming week, and really all the days of our lives. God, we give ourselves to you. We love you, God. We love you, God. In Jesus' name we pray.